0: What's up, y'all? And welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, as always, Jack Vita. Today we're doing something a little different, actually a lot different from other episodes. So a few days ago, I taped a really great conversation and a new episode with baseball writer Manny Randawa. It was a long episode. It was probably about two hours long. We spent about an hour of the time talking baseball. In the second half, we talked about Some other things. We talked about his amazing faith story, uh, how he went from being an atheist to a born again Christian. Since that episode was so long, and I know we have a lot of people who are interested in the episode, because I know not everyone who listens to this show regularly is a huge sports fan, or maybe, you know, maybe it was such a long episode, it got buried at the end. I just know that. I didn't want people to miss this conversation that we had, so I decided we'll still keep that episode in place, but I also wanted to take the hour of us talking about his incredible faith journey and his path to redemption and becoming a Christian, getting saved, finding salvation, whatever you want to call it, I want to take that episode and and make it, or that conversation, and turn it into its own episode. So today's conversation, today's episode, is the entirety of our faith conversation. So this episode will not include the first hour of our last episode that I did with Manny. This is just the faith stuff, just his life story, how he went from having an abusive father and really overcoming a lot of darkness in his life to finding joy and finding peace and and finding Jesus Christ. So that's what we're doing today. So I'm going to cut in in just a second to the second half of this conversation. Of course, if you're interested in the baseball stuff and you want to hear all two hours of this, you can always go back and listen to that. Um, But for those who were maybe just wanting to cut ahead Here's my conversation about Jesus with MLB.com writer who I should also I should say he's been covering the Rockies and other teams for MLB.com for several years now. Uh, very accomplished professional who's very reputable. I met him out at spring training and we had some great times out there. Here's my conversation with baseball writer for MLB.com Manny Randawa so uh manny you have quite a story with you have a you're a very interesting person in general just going by your twitter bio um i'm sorry and is there anything else baseball related you want to touch no, on? no no whatever <laughs> okay. whatever you got man we'll go wherever you want to <laughs> just go making with. sure sure okay sure. so for those who don't know manny this is his twitter bio x atheist god is spelled with a capital g second corinthians 521 baseball writer slash statcast slash or at MLB.com I've had two heart surgeries ask me about the second one where do we begin with this Manny?
1: <laughs> um you know we can begin you know anywhere at really uh, at with with all that because um, you know ex atheist we'll just start for well, I guess we yeah. just start from the beginning ex atheist yeah. I was a hardcore um, atheist and I was a guy that um, you know, I would, I would kind of vacillate between atheist and agnostic. Like I would, uh, in either case, I didn't, if they, for me, if there was a God, then he didn't want us to know who he was. That's the way I thought. Uh, and, uh, I was raised to, to kind of believe that you only have yourself to rely on. You don't have anybody else and you can't count on anyone to look out for you except you, you know, so look out for number one and just live your life, um, pursuing whatever your definition of success is and uh and that all changed on september 9th 2007 i remember the day um that i believed and uh and it wasn't something i did it was something that it, it you know it's it's um it's an alien thing it's it's something that comes from the outside it's extra nos as uh rc Sproul, one of my favorite uh the late rc Sproul, the late great one of my favorite uh bible teachers um Said once many times, it's extranos, it comes from the outside. You don't actually have any merit to yourself. You, you, we're all in the same boat in terms of when we start, where we are all born because of our first parents, because of Adam and Eve, and because of their um choice to disobey God, they pass that rebellious nature to the rest of us like an infection, just like a, you know, just like a, like like someone. Who gets past like a, a deadly disease from their mom because through birth, you know, through the, the birthing process, like you know, there are so many poor um, folks in, in, in Central Africa, for example, where the AIDS epidemic is just just horrific. That aren't are they're really poor. They're living in poverty already. They aren't able to, you know, people haven't been able to reach them with you know the antivirals to get them so that they don't pass along that the HIV to their to their babies you know when when they when a woman has a child so if that baby's born with hiv or you know with the same infection that makes it so that their lifespan is probably going to be very short is it that baby's fault well not in the sense that the baby you know potentially made a choice that resulted in that contracting that disease but does that make it any less true that he has it no he still has it it's like that with us in sin right i mean we we are born with a rebellious nature. Psalm 51 5, in sin, my mother conceived me. Um, David wrote that. He's like, I was literally conceived even before I came out of the womb. I was already sinned. I already had a sin nature. I already had a desire to rebel against you, even if I didn't know it, speaking to God. And so if, if we have that nature, we're going to sin. We're not all sinners because we sin. We're, we sin because we're already sinners when we come out of the womb. It's just our nature. And we rebel against God. It's not his fault. It's ours. We have, we have contracted that disease, that infection from our first parents. The solution is, you know, um, and we've talked about, you know, we've had great discussions about faith. And it's been enjoyable to talk to, with you about it. And you know this. And the solution is Jesus Christ. Um, God himself through, in, the, in the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Before the world began, the Father wanted to give the Son a gift of a people. And the son in love, in his love of the father said, I'll do do whatever it takes to get that. And he said, the father said, for our glory. And this is the point of existence, right? This is a drama. All of this, the world, the universe is a drama. And the director of the play is God. And his point is, I am glorious. Now, there's only, you know, I have a lot of experience in my life with narcissism and people who are malignant narcissists. And people who, who hurt other people because of what what they want, and that everything is focused on them, there is only one who rightfully deserves all glory and honor and praise, and that is the Creator, God. And to prove who He is, He sent His own Son, also God, in the flesh to die, to take our place on, uh, to take our punishment for those of us who believe in Him. Our punishment for sin, which is death and hell. Is paid for. Why hell? Why hell forever for living 80 years of or 85 years of a life on Earth? Because the more value uh, the thing is that you sin against, the more punishment. If the value of what what or whom you sin against is infinite, your punishment is infinite. You're in hell forever, um, and we're all in that boat. We all start there, myself included. And when I was 24, uh, it came. The, the Lord grabbed me out of my my situation and made me believe and the only way we can believe is if he does that to us and he does that to certain people and it's not because they're special it's that his it's his election it's his choice and you know the only thing we can do is ask him for that because if we're asking that means he may be he we may be one of the ones he's chosen to to move that way and to become believers and so ex-atheist uh that's that's where it all began for me and he you know we're all born and live a, uh, our own different lives and different back, come from different backgrounds, and the Lord saves those he saves in different ways. And each testimony of his salvation and how that happened is glorious in its own way in the sense that it gives glory to God in a different way. Um, you know, the God is spelled with a capital G. I, I, hate, I hate seeing God with the lower, cap, uh, lower G because it's not talking about the God, the true God number one. It's not talking about the God of Israel. It's not talking about the God uh, of the universe. It's talking about some other God who is an idol. Um, or it's referring to that true God without respect, with a little g, because you don't want to say you know, you believe in him, so you want to make sure that you don't give him any res- any any honor, with a capital G. There's only one God with a capital G. The rest of them are idols. They're fake. And um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is my favorite verse because it is the gospel in a verse. You know, he made him, so the Father made the Son who knew no sin, he lived a perfect life for us, who knew no sin to be sin, meaning to take upon himself the punishment, the wrath of God, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in the sense that the righteousness we have, the only way you can go to heaven is if you're perfect. We're not. He gives us his perfection, the 33 years of a perfect life he lived to give us that righteousness to enter. But we also have to have our sin remitted, our sin, the punishment for our sin paid for, and he did that too on the cross. So he made him and knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Through him, through him, we have his righteousness. We can be with the Lord forever and glorify him forever, which is the whole point. And the, start, the heart surgery, I had a heart surgery, a real one, not a real one they're both real but the like a like a physical one when i was 4 i had open heart surgery because i had a, a hole in the middle wall of my heart is congenital and so uh, and then the second one happened uh, on that day in 2007 where i had a spiritual heart surgery where my heart was changed and, and in Ezekiel 36 you know the lord says i will give you a new heart a heart of fl- I will replace the- i'll take out the heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh every person who is awakened to the truth by the lord is given a new heart to understand it and to love him um, rather than hate him. Because we're all haters of God when we're born. So the heart of stone, if you think about it, can't feel anything. It's stone. It doesn't feel. Heart of flesh, you poke it, what happens? You flinch. Well, he puts the heart of flesh in you, then the Holy Spirit convicts you. It pokes that heart of flesh to make it, put it in pain. And, and that's how, um, you know, for me, it was in a, a church that I didn't want to be in at the time. And I was there, but I – and I had already known all the the, the, the churchy stuff. I, I knew how to play the, the role of Christian because I had gone to a Christian high school as an unbeliever. My parents just wanted me to go to a a, a school that – a high school that didn't – that had only 200 kids, a dress code. They figured they'd be safe from – or, you know, sh- shelter me from drugs and alcohol and all this other stuff, gangs. And so I didn't believe it, but I, I had to get A's in all my classes because I had an overbearing – malignant narcissist father who made me do that. And so I got A's in the Bible too. I knew all the stuff in my head. I didn't believe any of it. And it was eight years later that he removed the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. I started to break down internally. Um, I felt like I was on a nervous breakdown every Sunday for six months in that church. And then I finally started reading the Bible again, and that's when he replaced the heart and gave me a heart to believe. So that's that's just an explanation of the bio, but it is um, it has been a uh, I, I've been blessed beyond measure, and I just you know my point whenever I can talk about it is to say it's not because of anything I did, it's because God decided to make me one of the objects of His love because His love is what gl- is the greatest the greatest demonstration of His love and therefore His glory was Christ dying on the cross and rising again
0: so obviously you have some amazing stories there and we briefly touched on a little bit of it you mentioned I love the way how you talk about having two heart surgeries I think that's great was your what was your heart like before it was transformed what was your life like before and then how have you seen it change since
1: yeah beforehand and you know I was uh the heart was cold it was cold and calculating. It was, uh, you know, I, I, my dad wanted me to be a lawyer, you know, and a politician. So I went to Cal Berkeley. I got my degree in political science. I even started law school for a semester. And everything was about getting ahead. And everything was about do what it takes to get ahead. Um, and the, my definition of success was whatever my father molded it to be, you know, in me and what he um, demanded of me. And, you know really truly was a brain brainwashing because he's basically um under the threat of violence and even death it was you do what i say in everything uh and and that seeps into your mind as you start to think thoughts that get you to first of all help you survive that and then to get you ahead in terms of what he wants for you and so that's where the atheism came from that's where my um my whole worldview came from and uh since then uh i first of all i left my father's house as a young adult um for the first time i didn't have the courage to do it until i became a believer and that's when i i just i moved out of there and started really a new life um temporally as well as eternally and my my affections changed now i I didn't view the world in such a cold, callous manner. I, I looked at it as, um, I look at my old life as a, as if I was sleepwalking through it. Like I was not actually alive in a sense. I was not actually awake, but I was going through all the motions of living a life, which is what I believe everyone goes through before they become uh, born again, before they, they're regenerated, before they see the truth, um, because God has shown it to them within their hearts. And that's uh, now everything from then on is about pleasing him. It's not about getting ahead. It's not about, you know, I've the thing about becoming a, a Christian, a true believer in Christ is you're still stuck in your flesh. You're still stuck in this and incarcerated in this body that is, you have a new inner self because of your new heart, but uh, you're still struggling with your flesh and with selfish desires and things like that. And it's been a long time It's been a long process a lot of health things that i've discovered about myself which have you know been truly uh for my body liberating in the sense of like i am now physically stronger and a new person in the sense of just physically able to you know think more clearly and i uh, just things that i've went through for 30 years that i had no idea what were happening to me physically so really the lord has redeemed me eternally but he's redeeming my life and i think every single person every single person who is a believer it's an individual redemption story and the story is his you are not your own there's a scripture that says you are not your own you were bought with a price and that was the blood of christ it's not gold it's not silver it's more worth infinitely more than that so live for him to live as christ to die is gain we don't live now for any longer for our own selfish desires we live for him and that's been the biggest difference
0: how do you go from someone who did not believe in God to a Christian logically? Cause I think a lot of people, yeah. I'm certain Good we question. have people listening to this that are kind of like, well, how, how could you abandon? Like if you, if you look at some certain science and you say, this is, this can't be real, or this is not what I believe in. And then, oh, now I, now I do believe it. That's a
1: really important question. And the, and for me, when I was going through that kind of time where I thought I was having nervous breakdowns, but only from 10 to 11 on Sunday mornings, uh, you know, I, I thought, what am I going to do? I can't go to a psychiatrist, you know, the, I can't go to a psychiatrist or whatever, because they'd be like, well, it's only happening for one hour a week. Like, you know, what would they do with that? So all the only thing I could do is open the Bible. And I, so I dusted off the old King James, and I or not King James, the, the, the NIV Bible that I had, you know, from high school, the paperback that I had. And I started going through it uh, for the first time in eight years. I was looking at this thing and I was thinking, this is the only place I know where to, where to go because it's only happening in church. So I don't know. And then I started trying to logic my way through it. And the problem with lo- trying to logic your way through it is the wisdom of man is foolishness to God, and the foolishness of God, or the wisdom of God, is foolishness to man. Uh, as the scriptures talk about, Mankind is so blinded. We all are so blinded when we begin this life Um, by Satan, by our own flesh, uh, by the world system. We're blinded uh, into thinking things that don't actually make sense. For example, that the world came from nothing and the universe came from nothing. The Big Bang, it all just kind of showed up one day. Um, What logic does that make? how, How does that make logical sense? is that more logical than there was, a, there's a creator that we can't understand that we can't wrap our minds around who actually created all of this and set all of it set, set the uh, universe going. Uh, I remember R- Sproul. We talked about RC uh, Sproul one time spoke with Carl Sagan, the, the, the renowned uh, um, astrophysicist. I mean, just a brilliant guy who was re- revered for, for his, uh, his knowledge of the universe. And he said, tell me something. He's like, you rc was like you one of the building blocks of physics is that an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless it is acted upon by an outside force he said yeah yeah it's very basic you know and uh he said well in the big bang theory that you that you hold what was the outside force that caused everything to explode one day at tuesday at three o'clock or whatever it was and just boom it just everything starts comes into existence And the answer that Sagan gave R.C. was very telling, and it it speaks to our hearts um, as they are cold when we're born, our stone hearts, which is, he said, I don't want to go there. As in, I don't want to go beyond that. And R.C. said, you're a scientist. How can you stop exploring? How can you just, you know, you get back to that point, you you don't want to go beyond that because then what? Well, then the only logical thing, and here's logic, the only logical thing is there's a creator, and we actually can't understand him, you know, fully, and therefore we're scared to go there because if there's a creator, we are, we are responsible for everything we do in this life, and we have a moral culpability for everything, and we don't want that. Look at look at Nietzsche, you know, wrote the Death of of God, and uh, you know it was celebrated in the 19th century, and everybody, you know, was so excited about this idea. Why? Because those of us who remain in our original condition we all start again we all start there and nothing that we do ourselves merits nothing of our own merit gets us out of that but just the grace of God now when we're there though when we're in our natural state we want we hate God we want to declare the death of God so they celebrated that and a lot of those uh, famous you know famous sci- uh, philosophers you know of history have said have basically said, either straight out or implied that I don't want there to be a God. And that's why I'm writing this stuff. Um, and so it's really like in the scriptures where it talks about in the old Testament, the, the rulers gathered together against the Holy one of God. Uh, I have, I have placed my, I, but, but the Lord laughs and says, I have placed my ruler on, on Zion. And that's Jesus Christ. The father laughs because all the, the leaders of the world gathered together. In other words, the whole world gathers together against Christ. And we're seeing that. We see that every day in society. Um, there's a reason you could say Jesus Christ and nobody, nobody bats an eye. But if you said like Muhammad or you said um, Buddha or something like that, people would get all upset because why are you using their name to, you know, basically to curse or to, to um, using their name in vain? But it's okay with Christ because you got to wonder why that is. It's not because of anything people have done. It's not because of uh, anything in world history. It's because Christ is the truth, as he, as he said he, when he was here. So I think that you know, the logic part of it is it's actually more logical to believe in a creator who set everything going, everything in motion, and created the world, created the universe with a plan, with a—it with a, was his drama, and he was going to show his glory through the story of redemption through Christ— um, than it is to believe everything came from nothing and by chance all the things in the universe that had to, had to happen for us to exist on this planet. Uh, for example, the, the Earth at tw- whatever it is, 23.5 degrees tilt. If it was half a degree, either way, we'd either burn up or we would be frozen to death. You're telling me that happened by accident? What are, all the, what are the odds? You know, people talk about odds all the time in science. That just doesn't seem plausible. They say, "Why well, are you telling me that that, that does that, that all of the things that had to happen for, th- think about the capacity of the human mind and all the amazing things that people have produced and done and invented and the progress that, that people have um, produced, you know, whether in medicine or in uh, you know, any aspect of society, and tell me that that was an accident. Tell me that the sunset, rainbows, beautiful scenery, that's why it says in uh, in in uh, the scriptures that no one has an excuse because you can see everything out there. You can look. I'm looking out at at beautiful green trees now because it's springtime. They've got uh, they've they everything's blossoming, and I'm looking at that and I'm saying, you know, before I was a believer, I'd say, oh, the hell happened to my accident? I wouldn't I wouldn't even think twice. That that's but I wouldn't also I also wouldn't think about how illogical that is. How in the world can all of these things happen to create uh, the right conditions for us to live and thrive in the way that they that we do as human beings
0: yeah i'm glad you said that because i've felt the same way i mean i grew up very different from you i grew up in a christian house but neither of my parents came from christian homes so my parents you know found it very important for us to attend church every week be involved in uh awana and sunday school and vacation bible school and I went to a Christian school for a different purpose than you were sent to a Christian school. So I grew up very different than you did. But as I've, I think I know a lot of people that grew up similar to me and as they get older and maybe they're moving out from living with their parents and they're not being raised with the same traditions and they're exploring stuff a little more on their own, maybe they raise some more doubts or questions. I think for me, as I've just gotten older and and really thought a lot about this stuff is exactly what you're saying. It's easier for me to believe that this didn't happen by accident than it is. It's hard. Like, it takes faith, in my opinion, to believe that everything we have today just happened by chance. As we went from having nothing to everything. Doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah. And and you you said it, it takes more faith in the terms that we're, you know, faith, uh, faith is a gift from God. I have the Ephesians 2, 8, 9 sitting over there for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. God gives the gift of faith. He's the one who initiates everything. He's the one who saves. He created us. He saves us by his own election, by his own choice. Um, and we have no power over that, no control over that, and no merit to, f- to deserve any of that. But in terms of faith, like take a leap of faith, in terms of the way that the vernacular, the way that we use it in our lexicon, and the way that we use it in common speech, and general, you know, uh, everyday uh, language, it takes more faith to believe in terms of the logic of— um, uh, it takes more faith to believe that everything came here by accident— um. Given all of the, again, all of the, the, the minute details that would have to be exactly right um, for that theory to hold. In fact, it's impossible. All of that, it, all that, that, the theory of evolution, um, the theory of uh, theories of, uh, you know, that every the Big Bang and everything happened by accident. It's really impossible. And you know, you know, when you examine it that way, um, the only the, the only problem is that in our natural state we need something to believe that is not God because we hate God and we don't want God. You know, if we're born that way, it's like we've been born with a disease. We don't want him. It's just how we're made. Uh, not how we're made, but how we're born because of our first parents. You know, we were made in the, in the first, the first two men, uh, people, Adam I and not were made to worship and love the Lord forever and to have great, beautiful harmony with him in the, in a, in a paradise, in the garden of Eden. And they, and that was where paradise was lost as the famous you know uh phrase goes uh, because they sinned and then their choice of sinning led to us being born with the condition of wanting to sin and desiring it by nature we can't help ourselves so how is it you know how is it more plausible that everything happened by accident than the lord actually created the world um and we just can't understand him uh, beyond a certain point and um you know Again, the the foolishness of of God. He was ha- there's a verse in, the, in in the Bible that talks about He was pleased to make all of this seem foolish to the world, as in unbelievers, as in people who don't believe in this. He was pleased to make it foolishness to them and let them have their own wisdom. Uh, their own wisdom says everything came by accident. We're all just from slime. We're we're not. We came from nothing we will go back to nothing and yet while we're here we talk about human rights however here we talk about all this you know equality and every and when worrying about people and you know quality of life well why worry about it if we're nothing if we're just growing up germs if we're just you know if everything we do in terms of law and religion and everything else is just to keep people under control and not and make it make it so people don't kill themselves because it's bad for business then then why care about human rights why care about suffering? Why care about all that stuff if we're just no different than animals? Um, and, and, and in fact, a lot of people treat their animals now better than they treat other people. And mm-hmm. that's just because, uh, again, this is uh, blindness of the world, of Satan. Satan's real. I, I mean, if, if, you, you know, if you look at Satan as a cartoon with a pitchfork and the horns... That's cause that th- that we can thank the middle East, uh, the the Middle Ages the people of the Middle Ages in Europe for that. They created this uh, uh, caricature of of the most evil being in the universe. Think about your scariest nightmares. Think about think about all the, the 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 horrific things that people can dream up in their in you know, Stephen King or Beyond or whatever you know, just the most horrific movies. Beyond all the horrific scenes you've seen beyond all of that that's satan and we can't even and that doesn't even scratch the surface of his evil and and how horrific he is and we created uh, in the middle ages they created these cartoons because they wanted to make fun of him because they wanted to insult him and then everybody starts getting this picture of him that no he's dressed in uh he's dressed as an angel of light he's here to fool you and nothing surely nothing pleases him more than people thinking he doesn't exist
0: so I'm curious, because you touched on some really interesting stuff there. What do you think attracts people to atheism? Uh,
1: their nature. We are, by nature, um, haters of God. So we des- we desire to create a framework in which we can live that life of without God. Because if there's no God, we get what we want. And I'm including myself, you know, from... All the way up until i was 24 this is how it was i you know look out for number one you are who you are uh based on what your own desires are for your life and your own desires and everything is permissible except the things that are against the law because the law is created so that we can have a civilization and we don't want to you know we don't do it because we don't do bad things because because uh we don't resist bad things because they're wrong we resist bad things because if we do we're going to get in trouble and it's bad for business, it's bad for society, it's bad. We can't, we can't have land ownership we're looking over our shoulder for someone's going to murder us for our land. We can't have a civil society. So, you know, when you really go back to it, the nihilist thinks that everything is uh, based on what's best for business, and that's the only reason we have societies like we do in the West where we can live comfortably and not worry about crime, uh, you know, necessarily, and people, you know, unless people are willing to break the law and pay for it. Well, the legal code originated, you know, and governments are in place because of God. There is a source of authority and there is a source of laws and there is a source of moral absolutes. Yes and no. And that's why we're we're living in uh, a post-postmodern time now where we think that not only do we think that the truth is relative, uh, not only do we think that there is no one truth, um, but we think that really there is no truth that everything is permissible and everyone can do whatever they want, be whatever they want, act however they want without a consequence, even though the consequence is deferred until you die, but it's there, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I was, again, I was this guy, I was this exact person. I thought everything, I thought religion was uh, um, an opiate for the masses. I thought it was just to keep everybody under control because this is a miserable life. We all live and it's, there's nothing there. I wasn't a complete nihilist. And we make of it what we will for the 80 or 85 years we're here. And then we disappear from existence. And it's just not true. It's not a fact. And it actually takes more, again, we go back to that. It takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe in a creator who started all of this. If there's a, If there's a ceiling, a glass ceiling past which our brains can't go, that makes sense. It makes more sense than creating something from our own limited minds as human beings to justify our own behavior because we don't want there to be a god and atheism is the 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 pinnacle of that
0: so going back to something else you said adam and eve they ate the forbidden fruit because they wanted to be like god so yeah. ultimately what it comes down to Absolutely is right. wanting to be god we all
1: want to be god and we all are god if we are atheists we're our own god you know uh, Sproul wrote a book, and, and, and MacArthur, John MacArthur, my favorite pastor of all of them, he, he has said this many times, that we're all theologians. If you're an atheist, you're a theologian. Your theory, your, your, your theory of God is there is none. But the problem is, is that that makes you God, right? That makes you the, the arbiter of everything. And if you're the arbiter of everything, and you look and you say that there's another person over there that's the arbiter of everything, this is a problem because that's where conflict happens why do you, that's part of the reason why you have so much conflict in the world you know it's like you know i have a deck out here i'm on the second floor i have a deck out here there there are all, there, there's only one truth when it comes to the physical realities of the world as soon as you enter religion as soon as you enter uh, unseen things the faith the the things that that you can't see anyone who you know you can't see god anyone who would see god would die on the spot as soon as you enter that realm everyone says everything's relative there's no one truth if i walk out on this deck and i jump because i think my truth is i can fly i'm going to be splattered all over the pavement that's what's going to happen regardless of what uh, my truth is there's only one truth and that is gravity uh if i go out in the middle of the street and there's a semi coming my way my truth says that's an illusion there's no semi there i'm going to get killed that's because that's a fact if people start treating and not start, they have for forever, forever that my truth is that there is no God or my truth is that there is a God, but he's not that, or if my truth is that, that I am God um, and you recognize that you're God, uh, or that you think that about yourself, then you are playing with your eternal soul. You're rolling the dice that every, that, that, the, that the things that this obscure carpenter from Nazareth, the most, the most repudiated town, one of the most repudiated places in Israel at that time when he was alive, to the point where one of his disciples said before he started following him, does anything good ever come from Nazareth? Carpenter, poor, no place to live, itinerant, would just move around everywhere, live for 33 years, and we're still talking about him today. There's real power there, and there's a church and the gates of hell will not overcome it, as Christ said. And if we continue to deny that because of our own selfish desires, um, we are gambling on our eternal destiny.
0: And you made mention of your father a little bit, but you didn't go into much detail. Uh, tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how that because you've told me about it privately but i'm sure the listeners would find it very interesting as it's a very big part of your journey
1: yeah for sure um my dad um uh he was born in poverty it really starts where he started and he was born in poverty in india uh, northwest india near pakistan near the pakistan border uh his dad was an opioid addict just abandoned the family so he had to take up he was he was 11 at the time i think and he had to take up the family farming and try to feed his family. Um, it didn't turn out well. He went to the, uh, the Indian army as soon as he turned 18, because he thought that would be a better life and he could send back whatever little money he earned from that. Um, eventually came to the United States in 1980, um, arranged marriage with my mom who had just come into the U S from India, just, you know, just a few years before abusive from day one. Um, he would abuse my mother physically and emotionally. My, I have a younger brother. He would abuse us uh, emotionally and threaten physical violence at every turn. He threatened to kill us. Um, I remember one specific night where he was just—he uh, was just—he's an alcoholic, but this was a night where he was just off the rails. And we were actually driving home from somewhere, and he was punching my mom as she's driving the car. And he's saying, and he—he he was so enraged. And he—he he, he turned around. And my brother and I, I think I was probably eight or nine, and my brother was five or six. He said, this is, I'll never forget, it. this is your last night on Earth. I'm killing you all tonight when we get home. And, um, and he had a revolver at home, so it's like, you know, he could do this. And thank, thank God he, as he started sobering up, we tried to talk him down. You know, like, I don't know what we said. We were nine and six or whatever. I don't know what we said. But, um, and he didn't come, he didn't deliver on that threat. But the gun was there in his room? He could have done it, and he always used the threat of that—that that mortal fear—with us. Um, and really, now that I've—I've I've studied it after the fact, I see that he is a malignant narcissist. Which is, um, you know, they think that there's about one percent of people in the world are malignant narcissists. Uh, Donald Trump is—is is probably the most famous example of a person who exhibits malignant narcissism and those symptoms. Again, it's not a diagnosis. It's something that you observe, and you can only kind of see from the outside. And you know, again, I'm not a psychiatrist, but if the symptoms are egomania, um, you'll do anything to get ahead, even hurt other people to get ahead. Um, you, everything's always about you. You don't, you really don't care what you're saying. You don't think that there are any consequences to your actions. There's just all antisocial personalities or all kinds of stuff that go into it. But he's one. Um, my dad was that. He just didn't have that kind of money. He didn't have that kind of platform. But he had uh, delusional um, uh, delusions of grandeur. That's a big one. Um, He wanted me to be president. He wanted my brother to be a general. My brother went to the Air Force because of my dad, you know, and my brother's still in the Air Force now. He's a captain. And so he was an overbearing, destructive force in my life. And um, he got into um, legal trouble. And within a week of me. Becoming a believer back in '07, he went to prison. he's turned himself into prison, and that destructive force was removed from my life again. The providence of God is an amazing and beautiful thing. And if you think all these things are just accidents, um, you got to check, check, check on how you look at life, because um, you know the fa- the idea that anything happens by accident. There's no rogue molecule out there. Not one thing is outside the purview of God and outside of His, of his sovereignty and control. And, uh, so that's when everything started changing, obviously when I became a believer and I, and I, uh, I left his, his household and, um, uh, really started a new life. My mom too, my mom, you know, at that, during that time, she was such a devout believer in Sikhism, which is the, uh, the religion that came out of, it's kind of an amalgamism of Hindu and Muslim, uh, beliefs out of India and very recent. I mean, there's only about 500 years old or whatever. Um, but, uh. And it, it, she was so dedicated that she had her own holy room that she considered holy, that she had a, her own, the the the, the Sikh um, holy text that she believed was holy and all the pictures of the 10 gurus on the wall. And I just, you know, when I became a Christian, I gave her my Bible and I just bookmarked it at the New Testament. I said, this is, I don't know if you'll read this, but this has really helped me. That's all I said to her and I gave it to her. And over the next six months, you know, I didn't say a word really to her, but I noticed that things started coming down off the wall in her room. Like there was no more pictures eventually of the gurus. And then one day the room was empty of everything, the book, everything. And shortly after that, she came to me. I was sitting at the dinner table, and this is during when my dad's in prison. And uh, she said, how do I follow Jesus Christ? And um, we prayed then. And, and ever since then, you know, I get a text every day from her, a Bible verse, and uh, she's I take no more. I, I take more pleasure in seeing the what God has done in her life than anybody I know, because of how far to the other side she was. She wasn't an atheist, but she was into a. She was just a devout, devoted uh, follower of another religion, and she came out from that. And she is just, and you can see, you see fruit in people's lives when they become a believer. You see the difference. And you see the change that's the biggest um, proof of a of a, believer, a true believer is a changed life. And my mom, I, I love seeing what's happened and continues to happen with her. And so that's kind of where it all started though, with my dad. And what's funny is my dad is the one who forced me to go to that church where I was, uh, cause he was in politics. Like he wanted to, he's had those delusions of grandeur and he wanted to be, you know, a mayor of the town, city councilman and all that. And part of that, I think in his mind was, you know, you know, you're kissing the babies, going to church and all that stuff. And, uh, it's funny because he's the one who dragged me to Little League when I didn't want to play because I was a shy kid. I was anti, I just I just did not like social situations. I was very shy. Um, and I was kind of a weakling. I was just not. And he dragged me into Little League because he wanted me to be American. You know, he wanted us to, to, to assimilate in American society, him being from India. And it's 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 a testament to the power of God that this destructive force in my life is the one that forced me into baseball and to church. And yet he remains an atheist to this day, as far as I know. Uh, and he is the one who the God used and moved to push me into something that ended up becoming a career, baseball, and uh, and also the most important thing, which is I went to church, and the Lord used all of that. You know, my dad doesn't had didn't have any hand in it. God is sovereign; He moves people as He wants, and He moved him to take me there to um, give me new life eternally, and even in this life, a new life, and that and that's it. Just it blows my mind really does
0: that's amazing I mean that's just such a an amazing just crazy radical story that you have and I'm so glad that you're so open about sharing it and especially here on this show and but also I mean you you got on your Twitter and you've you've shared it in other places as well and I just think it's it's awesome to hear
1: thank you yeah well it's not you know again it goes back to no merit on my part you know I'm just I'm just somebody that God plucked from, you know, a burning building, you know, and uh, took took out of that and rescued. And you know, I'm telling, I, I'm only telling it because, um, you know, I've had to deal, I've had to do a lot of, uh, um, like I said, research into what my dad, you know, why my dad was the way he was, and, um, and 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 just had to go through a lot of process, a lot of pain, a lot of a lot of. Um, my dad, my dad, dad never showed love you know, to me or my brother, um, never said, I love you one time that I can remember. Um, and that's hard for, especially for a boy, like you you and your dad, you know, it's like, you know, it's just the father is, and the father-son relationship is supposed to be something particularly special. And it wasn't for us. So, you know, there's a lot of pain to, to, and, and and to watch the scenes of my mother being hurt and all that stuff, like a a lot of stuff, threats of death that I had to work through, but all of that is for the glory of God. You know, Jesus said one time, somebody asked him, uh, while he was here on earth he asked him like what what did this man or his parents do to cause him to be a paralytic i think he was a paralytic or blind or something like i think it's probably paralytic but whatever it was jesus said neither it's not what they did it's not what their parents did it's not what he did they're all you know everyone's sinful as they're born it's not they didn't sin worse than anybody else it's for the glory of god because i'm about to heal him and the healing wasn't primarily to heal him it was primarily to show the power of God, to prove that this is God on earth and to show that it's for God's glory that everything happens. And so my story is for his glory and that's why I need to tell it and I think that it's, a, it's, it's really a responsibility that if he's done such amazing things in my life it's the least I can do is to tell other people here's what he did and he's real. And uh, you know that the best thing is when I get questions either on Twitter or DM or, or whatever that why do you believe this stuff? Like like you're you know, you're know, very well educated, you're a dream from Berkeley, you're a uh, master's degree from indiana you're a sports journalist you're you've done this and that And i'm like because it's true and because i could not believe it apart from god showing it to me and now he's 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 mandated to those who ha- he has shown to show it to tell other people so he can show it to th- so that because he's chosen that as the method of bringing other people to himself
0: and i mean i have to think i don't want to put words in your mouth but i have to think growing up the way you did with your father and then having the love of God, the father that fill a hole that you had in your heart, like as a part of that transformation of heart.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, He has demonstrated um, his love. And if you look at it, if you, I don't know how many times the word father is mentioned in the, in scriptures, but it's gotta be hundreds um, referring to God as our father. Um, there's even a verse saying your earthly fathers did the best they could based on what they thought they should do and raising you. But, um, you know, the, 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 heavenly father is perfect and he does everything exactly the way it's been. he's created fatherhood, you know, and fatherhood is such an important part societally. Um, if you look at, I think more than 80% of probably incarcerated people either didn't have a father or had an abusive father. you know, single-parent household, whatever. Um, Father, you know, one thing Satan has attacked uh, in God's ordinances is fatherhood. He has attacked, because if you can attack fatherhood and you can break up families, you can destroy families, then that trickles down to the next generation and creates a cycle. And that cycle continues to go down and down and down and destroy society and destroy God's um, design, you know, for, uh, or the implementation of it. And God allows it. He's allowed Satan to do it because all of this is going to allow uh, is going to make for his glory in the end. And he's God's devil, and people can't wrap their heads around that because they're like, "Why would God allow evil?" God God allows evil because it's going to be, bring glory to Him when He destroys it and rede- redeems His people, and that's what it is. So, um, the fatherhood of God is such a massive thing, and it's such a central part of Scripture and in, des- in, in describing how God relates. To his people all
0: right a couple more things and then we're going to wrap things up number one uh you mentioned you remember the exact day when it all changed i have yep. a similar thing for me my spiritual birthday or uh may right. 11th 2011 um yours was in 2007 what like what was that experience
1: so um for those six months where i was having this uh crazy what I felt like was a nervous breakdown, but only an hour every Sunday when I was in church, hmm. um, it happened for six months. Like we would go back there every Sunday and it happened. And I just didn't know. To, I was scared, honestly, because I, I never, I took pride in understanding where my thoughts originate and where they end from point A to point B in my brain. And this was an alien thing that was attack. That was, it, yeah, I guess it was kind of attacking me in the sense of it was going to capture me. And it did, and and, and but it, in the process, when I started reading the scriptures, I tr- I went in with the motive of trying to logic my way through. Could God have become a man, really, and died for my sins? And, you know, thinking back to it now, I was like, how could I not believe it? But w- when I didn't believe it, and I tried to logic my way through, God was then, I, see, now I, I look back and I know what was happening. This nervous breakdown feeling was a conviction of my sin. He was He was making me remorseful. Meaning, he took that was a process in which the stony heart was taken out. That was my second heart surgery. That it took six months, but the stony heart was taken out, the heart of flesh was put in. And then when he poked it, I was having that those those terrible feelings. That was a conviction that I am a sinful man. I'm a sinner. I I was born this way, and I just didn't know it until now. And now that I have this new heart that feels things, a heart of flesh instead of a stone, as a heart, I am acknowledging that because now that's how God the father because the process of salvation is the father using the holy utilize through the through the help of the holy spirit who is also god what he does is he convicts you of your sin and the father in that process is bringing you to his son who died on the cross for you if you are going to be a believer Everyone's a belie- is a believer. Their names are already in the book of life, written in the book of life. That's something that has been predetermined. But we don't know because you don't have people walking around with an E on their forehead, stamped on their forehead, saying that these this is one of the elect. This is one of the people who will believe one day. That's why we preach the gospel to everyone. It's to preach the gospel to all creatures, to the whole world. And um, so the, the, the day that it happened was very interesting because, again, God showing his mighty power through utilizing whoever and whenever he wanted to use that person. Joel Osteen was on TV Hmm. and Joel Osteen, I completely repudiate Joel Osteen and whatever, everything he stands for. That guy's a false prophet, false teacher. He is a, he is a, uh, he has done, he's leading more people down uh, the, the, the wide gate of destruction than anyone uh most everyone you know and that I have seen because of his following but he was on there at the moment I was flipping through the channels on that day and he's the only time he mentions Jesus is like at the end where he says and that's probably just to get people off his back you know who say you never talk about Jesus you always talk about you know that you know you talk about god loves you and this and that but you never talk about sin you never talk about salvation you never talk about you know the the key issues of uh redemption and He does at the end say, if you don't know the Lord, say this prayer. And I, and I prayed that at that moment. And that was the moment where it ended. That whole process ended. I was a believer. I was born again. That was the moment. And, um, it was around the three o'clock hour of, you know, September 9, 2007. So, you know, I've been, I've been truly alive for 15 and a half years. Um, not 39 and the, the other 24, like I said, I was sleepwalking, but again, all for the glory of God, you know, because now I can tell the story.
0: Amen. So, I mean, there's so much that I feel like we'll have to talk. We'll have to have you on again sometime yeah, soon. Time. Talk some ball, talk some more faith. Um, Absolutely. I'm certain we'll do it again soon. But the last thing I, wanna, I just want to ask you is y- you've been so great with sharing your story. And there's a lot that I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening to this who you know, maybe they are an atheist or maybe they don't know what they believe in, or maybe they're questioning some stuff. And I don't know where you're at. If you're listening to this, I really don't. But my question to you, Manny is if someone's hearing something that you're saying and is like, wow, this is, this is really interesting. I'd like to kind of go deeper on this. What would, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them to go deeper?
1: I love that question. I would get my hands on a Bible as soon as possible. Um, and, And read. I would suggest the uh, John MacArthur Study Bible because the notes and the and the commentary are so great in terms of um, filling in context and everything else. But I would get a Bible and I would start reading it. And you know, when I the first time I ever prayed, I think I prayed to the God I didn't you know the God I didn't believe in. I just like closed my eyes. If you're there, you know. And the only thing you can do is pray to the real God and say, "Please make me born again. Please make me regenerated. Please." Open my eyes to the truth, and read the scriptures. If you, if if you if if you are going to believe, you're going to believe. He'll get you. You know, there, there's no doubt. It's irresistible. The grace is irresistible. Nobody can resist it if it's coming. And if you're one of the the people that it's coming to, then the only way to do it is to just ask. You know, and ask. And because if you're asking with true a true sincere heart, that means the Lord is doing that process already. He's bringing you to His Son. And, uh, actually the Greek word for, for, that's used in, uh, in the scriptures when, he, when the Lord says, no one comes, Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the father draws him. Well, the word for draw is actually the same word used in Acts where Paul, the apostle is dragged through the streets because of what he's preaching. And so it's really, it means drag. You're being dragged out of darkness and into light. You're not coming on your own, but in the process, your heart is changed so that you, you can love the Lord and your heart is a heart of flesh instead of heart of stone. So get your hands on a Bible. Um, if you have, I mean, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, you know, I'm not, I'm not ordained. I mean, I'm not, I don't have a master's in divinity or anything, but I, but if you have any questions, you know, I'm Manny on MLB on Twitter. Just DM me, you know, my DMs are open. Um, ask me a question. I would love to, to, you know, send you some resources that way. Um, I would check out Ligonier Ministries, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R. It's a really good resource for um, sound doctrine. Uh, Grace to You by John MacArthur, just the best. And um, so th- those are some resources. But if you want more, just you know, just send me a DM um, at Manny on MLB. All
0: right, that concludes my conversation with Manny Randowa. Like I said, it was a really incredible testimony and incredible story that he has and i'm so glad that he shared it here on this show and i'm i hope you guys check this one out i hope you guys enjoyed it i really didn't want this conversation to get lost in the second half of a two-hour episode if people didn't finish uh the two-hour conversation that we just released a few days ago so that was the entirety of our faith Conversation again. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope it was impactful. You guys can follow me on social media at Jack Vita Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then hit subscribe if you guys like conversations like this. Um, and you want to support me to be able to have more conversations about faith and sports, or just you know, hey, if you like the sports content, what if you guys enjoy the content? Please subscribe and turn on notifications. Share this show with your friends. I mentioned it recently. I've been having some issues with my Facebook page lately. A lot of people have not been seeing my posts. And that is our biggest source of traffic. So I would greatly appreciate it if you subscribed. If you guys enjoy listening to the show and you don't want to miss episodes, you won't miss out if you subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube... Or go to YouTube and when you hit subscribe, make sure you turn on the notifications. And we'll be back shortly in a few days with Jim Callis, the ultimate MLB draft guru when it comes to prospects, college kids, draft picks, uh, college baseball. He's our guy. He's the go-to guy. I'm going to have a fun conversation with him. We're going to talk a lot about all those things prospects right now who are some guys that maybe he missed on or who are some guys that he got in on early and not a lot of other people believed in them and they turned out to be stars very good players we're going to talk college world series because we're not far from that Uh, things are really heating up in college baseball I think college baseball is maybe the most underrated sport it doesn't get enough coverage, so we're gonna provide at least a little bit of coverage as it pertains to college baseball. And we'll probably talk a little bit about the draft. With the draft coming up in a month, who are some of the who are some guys that we can watch in the College World Series and who does Jim think is the best player in this draft? It's going to be a great conversation. Like I said, if you don't want to miss it, hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. Let's grow this show. Until our conversation with Jim, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dance of the lobsters.